0: The book of John, chapter 4, verses 19 through 26. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, nor in Jerusalem will we worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord.
1: This morning, you guys may have noticed you haven't seen Jeff around anywhere, so Jeff and Robin are at a
0: a conference for pastors and their wives, just kind of refresh this weekend, so we're really excited that they're able to be at that, and uh, this week we have Nick Coleman, Coleman,
1: not Coleman, just Coleman, Nick Coleman is going to speak for us. He is uh, the director uh, for Young Life here in Canby, been doing youth ministry for a long time, and uh, yeah, so we're excited to hear from him. You don't need this. I don't, I, no? I mean... Do you want two mics? Or? Two would be fun, okay. I guess. <laughs> I'm loud enough, I think. Uh, well, good morning um, and welcome. I'm, I'm so glad that you're here together, um, that I get to be here, to get to speak to you, get to open God's word to you. Um, it's, it's my pleasure to stand up in front of my church, my home church, my... Wife Megan and I are have just a few months ago become covenant members of Bethany, and, and we love this church. We love, um, thank you. We we love the people here. We love the warmth. We love the, how we have been welcomed in. Uh, most important about the people is that the people love Jesus and they love others. Um, and in terms of, of truth, in terms of preaching, in terms of what this church is about, it's written here on the wall that Jesus Christ is what it's about, that, that Jesus Christ is supreme, Jesus Christ is the gospel, and he is revealed and he can be found in scripture alone. And um, I just love that we go through scripture and have been faithfully teaching the scriptures from the pulpit here and preaching through the scriptures even when it's hard, even when um, we deal with difficult topics, as Jeff has done the past two weeks, and done just a, a great job of graciously proclaiming the truth of Scripture. Because love does not shy away from truth in the face of hardship. And, and the story that we're going to look at today, Jesus does, that, does just that. He exposes sin, he speaks to the truth, and he does it in love, Um, I I just want to give you a quick update about me, about um, Young Life, uh, because uh, I, I, like David said, am the area director here locally in Canby for Young Life. It's a a ministry that, that seeks to introduce adolescents to Jesus Christ and help them grow in their faith. That's what Young Life is all about. And you at Bethany Church are partners, are supporters of Canby Young Life, and so I want to give you an update on what's been going on. Um, we exciting things are happening. Exciting things are happening, I think, throughout Canby. And, and it's my pleasure to get to work alongside people like David um, who are working with youth, who are speaking into the lives of young people in this church and in Canby as a whole. And I've gotten to know many other people throughout Canby that are working with youth, and God is doing something good. God is moving in the lives of young people. And just in Canby Young Life, we, camp is a big thing for us. This past summer, we took uh, our biggest group ever to camp. We took over 100 people to camp. Um, and that's exciting. But more exciting is that dozens of those young people made decisions in their life in following Jesus Christ. Whether it be for the first time or recommitting their lives to Christ, literally dozens of kids had their lives transformed. And we had kids come back from the summer, and we had parents say to us, my kid is a different kid. My kid has changed since they came from Young Life Camp. And that's, again, Young Life is a vehicle, is a vessel for proclaiming the truth, and it's the gospel that changes lives. The gospel, Jesus Christ, is what we are about. So thank you for partnering with us. Thank you for being a generous church, an encouraging church, and a gospel church. Um, Because now more than ever, the need is great. The harvest is plentiful. And, And one of the things... You know, the numbers are cool that, that we are, are working with a lot of young people, but one of the things that I count as a success is that we are getting to see into kids' lives. Kids have revealed to us this past summer some incredibly difficult things that they are walking through, that there is hurt in our town, that there is pain, that there is abuse, that there is neglect, that there is brokenness and sin and depression in the lives of our middle and high school friends. And that's where we want to be. We want to speak into that world, that world of hurt that our kids are going through. Adolescence is a difficult time. The Fuller Youth Institute um, out of Fuller Seminary in California does a lot of research into what kids are dealing with these days and has put out a lot about adolescence and um, the study of extended adolescence and all the things that are going on right now, but, but Follow Youth Institute says that there are three primary tasks in adolescence, that are three questions that kids are trying to ask as they become adults, as they come into their own, as they try to figure out who they are, and, and the questions are identity, belonging, and purpose. Who am I? What makes me me? What makes me unique and different from everybody else? Where do I fit? Do I belong somewhere? Am I accepted? Do I have a people, a tribe? And what am I here for? What is my purpose? Why was I created? And our world was, was kind of set up to help kids navigate those questions, and, and we established, especially in this country, systems to help kids walk through those l- those questions in their life, and systematically, you can look at recent history, how those, those systems have failed. That the school system, in a lot of ways, has failed to deal with kids as they deal with the most important things in life. That the breakdown of the family, and in a lot of ways, the failure of the church, have left our kids alone, with no one to navigate the most important questions of their life. And that's the world that we want to jump into as Young Life. We want to dive into that world. We want to cannonball right in the middle and make a splash. Because we believe a few things in Young Life. Number one, that relationships are powerful. That we as human beings were created in the image of God and created to need relationships with others. And that in true relationships, when we walk, walk alongside people, that that is where real life change can happen. There's an old adage that's cliche, but it's true, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And we want to earn the right to speak truth into kids' lives because kids are desperate for hope and for love. Many kids have never heard that they are loved, that they belong. And that's heartbreaking to us. And again, the harvest is plenty. But the most important thing that we believe is that Jesus is the answer, That the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the saving work of who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross is the answer to all of life's problems. That there is hope, all hope, found in Jesus Christ. So that's what we're doing. We're in the world of kids. And and cool things are happening. I'm having meetings with school administrations and and seeing doors blown open and and giving us new new and greater opportunities to be in the world of kids. We're learning the names of more and more kids. Our, our goal, and this is a crazy and unreachable goal, but our goal is to know every middle and high school student by name in Canby. That to know someone's name is powerful and to be able to ask them what's going on in their life and speak into that circumstance that they're living in holds great power. We want kids to be known and to be invited in. And we're going to look at a story today in the gospel that speaks exactly to what adolescents are desperate for, what I think we all are desperate for. So would you pray with me? God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you that salvation can be found in you alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, and that we can look to Scripture to find your truth, I pray that you would speak to all of us today. I pray that the only truth that that I would say would come from you would come from Scripture, that you would speak through me and to me. And God, may you receive glory and honor by what we talk about this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although he himself did not baptize, his disciples did, he departed Judea and left again for Galilee. And he had to go through Samaria. And he came to a, a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, sat down to rest alongside the well. A woman of Samaria came to the well to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the woman said to him, Sir, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, because Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans? And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to come here anymore to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the man who you know have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place that people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it's now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is spirit and is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah, who's called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain all these things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of town and were coming to him. This this incredible story of Jesus speaking the truth in love, of Jesus approaching a broken woman, it is Just such an incredible and moving story to me. Let's look at a couple things in this. Number one, the setting that that Jews and Samaritans did not go together. In fact, to say that Jesus had to go through Samaria was maybe a a misnomer because a lot of times the Jews, if they had to travel up to Galilee, would go the long way around Samaria to avoid the Samaritans. And, And even in the scripture it says the Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. The Jews considered the Samaritans unclean. And in fact, many writers in the day said that a a Samaritan woman, excuse me, would be perpetually unclean. That there was no way she could ever be clean. And that everything therefore she touched would be unclean. The Jews hated the Samaritans for ethnic reasons, for cultural reasons, but most importantly for religious reasons. The Jews thought that the Samaritans knew nothing about how to get to God, about how to relate to or worship or have a relationship with God. So her identity was not just in that she was a Samaritan woman, but was also found in failure, that she was known as a woman of sin. And we'll look at that, why that is, because she was at the well by herself. And the Bible says it was about the sixth hour, which means it was probably about noon, which was, not, which was the heat of the day. That's not the time when you would go to get water. Getting water at that time would probably have been a social event, water cooler talk, right? That all the women would go together and get their water, do their chores together and talk and talk about their families and their lives and the business of the town. But this woman was, was by herself that she was in the heat of the day going to get water when she knew no one else would be there. She didn't belong. And what, what is her purpose? She's going through the motions. She has no mission. She's going to get water alone. And Jesus, as he does, immediately engages and speaks right to her. He speaks kindly and with purpose. He already knows who she is and what she has done and what he's going to say to her, how the conversation is going to go. Jesus knows it all. And he goes right to offering her water, offering her living water, offering her eternal life, ultimately offering her himself. And he gently exposes. He speaks the hard truth of her life. He points out about her husband, or lack thereof, about her history of sexual indiscretion, about how she has had many husbands and would have been another level of unclean in that society at that time. And he does it without her saying anything. He, he looks right into her heart. And Jesus often does this, and I love the stories in the New Testament when Jesus walks up to the, like, the Pharisees and says, why are you thinking that? Why are you thinking what you're thinking? You should not be thinking that. That is a sin, what you are thinking. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't say anything. <laughs> and Jesus, Jesus sees into her heart, and he doesn't, it's not a parlor trick. It's not just something to prove himself. It's to bring her sin to light. It's to bring her sin to light. The the light versus darkness is is a theme throughout Scripture. And it's really awesome to study, if you look at it, from Genesis when when God himself says, let there be light, to John chapter 3, the chapter right before the one that we're looking at, when Nicodemus comes by night. And Jesus says, the famous interaction about being born again, and then John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would have eternal life." And then the following verses are, "This is the condemnation that men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. The darkness is the hiding and the shame and the sin. And Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus comes to expose that which is hidden. The Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world must first expose that sin. And she's hesitant at first, and she's wondering, why is this guy talking to me? And here's a quote from D.A. Carson. says, she does not know that far from being defiled by what is unclean, Jesus sanctifies what he touches. That that even though he's this Jewish man, he's not going to be made unclean by drinking from her water jar, but he's going to make her clean. He's going to make her holy. And then her her response, her great response. I love it, when she says, "I see that you are a prophet." like think about all the things that have gone on in her mind when she utters that sentence all the realizations that she must have had oh no might be the first one uh-oh he knows he knows my deepest darkest secret and i didn't tell him anything i gave him no hints how does he know he saw it into my heart he saw it into my life and, and and while this is my greatest sin the way that he's talking to me has not been condemning. Has not been the way that people usually talk to me in town. He hasn't picked up a stone yet. And in fact, he offered me living water, eternal life. What's that about? It must be from God. He says, I see, I see that you are a prophet. And then, and then the next question, which I always, I struggled with for so many years, like it seems like such a direct left turn. What is that about? Where she says, okay, you're a prophet, mountain or temple? What, that's a thing, right? Which one, where do I go? And what is that? That doesn't seem to flow with the rest of the conversation until I realized as I was studying that what she was asking was where do I go? I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have made so many mistakes. In fact, I'm defined by them. How can I be made right? I've grown up learning that I should go up on this mountain and try to commune with God, try to interact with Him. And, and you guys, you Jewish people, say that i got to go to the temple. i got to buy an animal and transfer my sin to the animal. i I, I got to pay the, the temple tax, and i got to do all these rituals. Where do I go? How can I be made right? This is the biggest question of her life. And this is what she's been waiting to ask. And finally, a prophet, a man from God comes to her. And this is the first thing that she says. Where do I have to go? What do I have to do to be made right? Because how could God forgive the things that I've done? Because my sins are so great. I've gotten a chance to talk with many students over the years, and um, I remember one particular student. I was sitting in Croatia. We had just uh, presented the gospel to this group of students who we had brought from across Europe, and I was having a one-on-one conversation with a high school friend of mine, and This is the gospel, the salvation from your sins. Forgiveness is available through Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone. And he says, yeah, but not me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my sins. How could God forgive me? I think this question is is deep within all of us. Yeah, but not me. What about my deep dark secret? How could I be made right? And then Jesus says the incredible answer that the hour is coming. And in fact, it's right now. It's already begun, it's here. The hour is coming when it's no longer about ritual and sacrifice and altars and blood and temples and curtains and showbread and candelabras and all these details. It's no longer about mountains or buildings. It's no longer where, but it's who. That God himself is available that the hour is coming and it's right now when it's no longer go to a place but God can be found not just in Jerusalem but in a dusty old well on the side of the road that we no longer have to go to a place to find God but God can be found in a conversation on a zip line or go-karts at a camp or sitting on the floor talking to kids surrounded by Junk and wrappers and crumbs and so many dirty socks. (laughs) That God is spirit. God is everywhere. And God is available. And Jesus says, I am him. I am the one. I am God made flesh. I am Yahweh. Throughout the book of John, I love the gospel of John because it presents Jesus as God himself. The incarnate word. The one who created it all, God himself, and through great I am statements, Jesus says, I am Yahweh. I am the light of the world, the the good shepherd, the, the gate for the sheep. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am before Abraham was. I am, I am Yahweh. God himself come down, incarnate, put on flesh, Jesus is the answer to the question of how can I be made right. That Jesus is the good news. And just then, her, her, the disciples come lumbering back in. It's like, dum da dum dum And we get to see like the inner monologue in their, inside their heads, and they're making eye contact with each other, and they're like, what's going on? That's a Samaritan woman. Why is he... What's he doing? Talking to her. Why, why are you talking to her? What, what do you want, lady? And in that confusion, she realizes so much has changed in her life in that moment. She realizes the good news of Jesus Christ that he has just offered himself to her, eternal life to her, and she leaves her water jar the very reason that she had come to the well in the first place, and she runs back into town. The very people that five minutes ago she had been avoiding. She runs into town and says, this guy knew me. You knew some things about me. You knew my reputation, but he knew everything about me. He knew everything I ever did, and yet... He loved me, and yet he offered life to me. Could this be the one? Could this be the Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited one, the Redeemer, the Savior of the world? Could this be the one? She doesn't care about our secrets anymore. Would you want your secrets exposed? Are you trying to keep something hidden so it's, it's politics season, and secrets seem to be like the order of the day. Like, opponent Jones has literal skeletons in his closet, (laughs) but good candidate Smith likes puppies. (laughs) We live in a world of secrets, and increasingly social media means that individuals have carefully crafted a brand for themselves, have created a A show that they want the world to see that we live in a world of secrets you know just a side note there's these devices and I think they're gonna be a lot on sale I've seen them in the news these always listening devices like a Google Home or Amazon Alexa like those you realize they're always listening like always everything that happens in your house I want to walk into a house and say Alexa tell me all this family secrets and I told I, I told that story to a friend of mine Louise who works with me in Young Life and they've got one of those in their house and she said yeah go ahead go ahead I've got nothing to hide and I tell you that that true freedom is a life without secrets is a life without shadows with nothing to hide that no one is more free Than the person without secrets. Someone could bring something against you and you say, yeah, but I've already been forgiven. Yeah, but Jesus knows that already. He's already spoken to me about that. Her response of running back into town reminds me of a scene from one of my favorite movies, O Brother, Where Art Thou?, And it follows these three characters, and they escape from a uh, prison work crew chain gang, and it follows their adventures through um, mishaps and, and all, and they come across at one scene this group at a river, and it's a pastor baptizing people in the river. And the character Delmar comes up to the scene and sees the people, and he runs right in. And he goes right up to the front of the line to the the preacher, and he gets baptized. And he comes out of the water and says, that's it, fellas, I've been redeemed. It's a straight and narrow from here on out, and life everlasting's my reward. The preacher done washed away all my sins and transgressions including that Piggly Wiggly I knocked over in Yazoo. And his friend says, I thought you said you was innocent of those charges. Well, I was lying. And the preacher said, that sin's been washed away too. Come on in, fellas. The water is fine. True freedom is a life without secrets, with nothing to hide I've been forgiven. There's nothing to keep in shadows anymore. And when this woman runs back into town, the people respond. When she goes and says, there's a man who told me everything I ever did, could he be the Christ? They come out to look for themselves. And later on at the end of the chapter, we see they say to the woman, you said, here's somebody who told me everything I ever did, but we talked to him ourselves, and now we believe. Because the kind of freedom that she experienced is shocking. The world is not ready for that. The world is not designed for that. And the harvest is plenty. People are desperate to come to the light. People need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Because it doesn't matter if your secrets are known. They don't define you. He knows everything about you, not just everything you've ever done, but everything you've ever thought. And he loves you. He loves you. And here's the beauty of that sentence. It's not he loves you still. It's not he loves you anyway. It's not with condition. It's without hesitation. He calls you his own, his beloved. God demonstrated his own love for us in this that while we were yet sinners, in my darkest moment, Christ died for us. Christ loved you enough to die for you, and he loved your neighbors enough to die for them. This this answers the biggest questions of our life. This is our identity, belonging, and purpose. You are not defined by your failures. You are a child of God, loved by Christ, bought with a price, beautiful, beautiful, Beloved, wanted, redeemed. I love the song, Good, Good Father. It says, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's essential to my identity. I am loved by God. And you are not alone. You are not destined to walk through the difficult tasks of this life by yourself. That when you are in Christ, you are part of a family, a body, the church, the holy Catholic church, universal, the world over, as we said today. When I worked in Germany, I worked with what's called third culture kids. I did ministry over there for a few years. And kids would come from all over the world, different corners of the world, and come live in Germany for usually a short time, two and a half years. The average family stayed put. And there's this feeling of living outside of your passport country, particularly as an adolescent, where you wonder, who am I? Where do I fit in the world? I'm not living the... Guatemalan life that my parents grew up in that uh, that my passport says that I am and I'm not living this German life of of the place where I am I'm somewhere in the middle I'm, I'm caught and there was something special about the shared experience of that so someone quite with those questions would relate to somebody who grew up in England whose passport said England or U.S. or or Korea, or whatever part of the world, there was something about the shared experience. And First Peter 2, 9, and 10 became so real to me in that context, where it talks about how once you were not a people, once you were not God's chosen people, but now you are a holy nation, a chosen people for God, that you are a part of something, that you belong. And then there's more to your life, more that you were designed for. I got the opportunity to speak here a few months ago and I talked about what I think is the purpose of life and I think in scripture we can see that we are designed to know God and to make him known that your purpose is to run back into town. Whatever your sin or your shame, whatever your background, your call is to run back into town and to say, I found him. Here he is. He told me everything. He spoke to me. He he spoke to the deepest darkness of my heart, and he loved me anyway. Could this be the one that you're waiting for too? Could this be the Savior of the world? And and that's what I want my life to be about. That's why I'm part of, of Young Life. We want to run into Cambia High School and... Bigger Prairie Middle School and 91 and, and find all the sixth graders wherever they're at. And we want, we want to run into the schools and say, have you seen him? Do you know him? Is he what you're waiting for? I would invite you to, to join me in that. That this is your calling. And I would love it if you wanted to be a part of Young Life. And do that alongside of me. We've got great needs for that, but there's great needs within this church. I would love it if you walked alongside David and, and spoke the truth to the, to the teens of this church. And, and listen, to... working with the teens is hard. I mean, we had a saying, and we talked about it a lot in, at camp this last summer, that when you're working with young people, and especially as you get a little bit older, and I've got a couple of, of gray hairs even, um, there's a saying that if you feel like you look stupid, you're probably doing it right. <laughs> that, that working with young people can be challenging and difficult, but if, if I want to talk to you later about why it could be you. That if you love Jesus and you love people, then God is calling you to run into town. And that could be to run into the lives of adolescents. But whatever it might be, God is calling you to run back into your village. To, to know God and to make Him known. Would you pray with me? God, thank you again for who you are. That everything rests on your presence. On your identity. On the saving work of Jesus Christ. God, what you accomplished on the cross, and through the empty tomb, we will never cease to be amazed by for eternity, that we will sing for all time, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And God, thank you that, that despite the secrets in our lives that you offer us yourself, that you offer us a spring of water within us that will well up and lead to eternal life, that we will never be thirsty again, that we will never be in need again. And even though life is hard and there is pain and there is suffering, God, you are there. You are with us and you've given us yourself. May we have the courage to run back into town to tell those who need to hear about you who are desperate to hear about your love. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could it be the Christ, the Savior of the world? And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, we pray. Amen.